Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, July 18th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. The Sunday text we're discussing is for July 23rd of 2023. Each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time to participate. Our team's working to be faithful to year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the text we're using today is Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and then leaping to 36 through 43. And I'll be reading the scripture using the New Revised Standard Version. There are some nuances between translations that may come up during this discussion. And when we make the leap the lectionary committee calls for in this reading, I'll note that as I go through this scripture. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while some, everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves and the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. In the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, here's the leap in the text. Now we go to verse 36. When he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. And that's the word of the Lord. So uh, we've come up with a few questions for a challenging text. Uh, I think I'm going to read all three first, just for some uh, context. We have some listeners that Ask us now to do that up front because they're considering using some of the questions for their classes or discussion groups. So the first one is, how and why does Jesus use the concept of an enemy in this passage? Or we could say, why this choice as opposed to an intruder or an obstacle or a disruptor? The second question is, what is the impact of letting both of them grow up together on the power of the parable? 
or our access to meaning or wisdom in the parable. And finally, the good seed are the children of the kingdom and the weeds are the children of the evil one. That's quote. How do you explain this difficult, maybe fearful statement, definition to the newcomer to the gospel of Matthew? So those are the questions. And Bill Hole, the first question is coming to you first. Uh, how and why does Jesus use the concept of an enemy in this passage? Why this particular choice? Bill? And good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Don and Sarah and those viewing and listening later. Um, first of all, quickly, a couple of comments I made before we started the recording. Don, I think your questions are very helpful, very different from what we've done before, but very challenging. And I think this parable, and I will refer in a moment to last week's parable of the soils, are tremendously relevant to our time, so much so that the counsel I got decades ago to nurture and practice an economy of words <laughs> has been challenging. So I will limit myself, but these passages, this passage and your questions stir a lot. First of all, John, I think your questions are particularly relevant to the Bible narrative and to our time because this week's parable only occurs in the Gospel of Matthew. For whatever reason, Matthew is the only one of the four Gospels, but particularly the three synoptics, who chooses to include this parable. I think, therefore, since it's exclusively in Matthew, it's important that we at least explore what these stories may have meant to the writer of Matthew's gospel and to probe what unique message and meanings may be embedded here. I am certainly not going to offer a definitive answer to that, but I, I, I think it's important. Last week's parable of the four soils and today's passage are both focused on the seeds. <laughs> Last week, the farmer cast them indiscriminately on all kinds of soil. Uh, this week, the seed is planted in a focused way in the farmer's own field. So it's all good soil. Um, and both last week and this week's parables focus on the response of people to those that seed to the word of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus notes that the incursion that happens did so while people were sleeping, something that all people do. It's interesting that most of the commentaries that commented on that agreed that Jesus is not at this point criticizing people for being asleep. Uh, he In the garden, he challenges three disciples because they didn't stay awake. awake. There's no note of that here. To me, it it is Jesus acknowledging that no matter how careful we are, conflict and challenges will happen. <laughs> Even if we could make ourselves stay awake literally and figuratively 24 hours a day, 
this this happened. And it reminds us of earlier in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asserts that God's sun rises on the evil and the good, and God's rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous. Uh, now, last week, the seed was scattered on receptive and unreceptive soils. This week, it is on, as I noted, receptive good soil. Um, and I'll repeat something I said last week, that up to this point in Matthew, tension and re- resistance and even rejection of Jesus' message and ministry have been mounting religious leaders, his own disciples, his family. Um, This week, interestingly, Jesus is saying, of those four soils I mentioned, by the way, one of them, the good soil, still faces challenges. Um, And these weeds are... Uh, actively and secretively seeking to sabotage, it says to your, the focus of your question, Dom, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. In response to a following question, I will say more uh, about this. At least at this point, troubling though it is, there is power in Jesus' use of the word enemy. It comes from a Greek word that also means someone who is hostile and who hates you. You would, uh, even in English, we would assume that would be true of the word enemy. Jesus uses here purposely a very strong word. And again, I'll say more later. That's it for now. Thanks. How about you, Sarah, the use of the term enemy? I went to Merriam-Webster just to clarify in my own head what the word is often used to describe. And um, the definition uh, what Merriam-Webster offered up was that someone who is antagonistic to another. And so it became less um, of a divine event where the master of the field names the person who sowed the the weeds into the field. And it kind of fell back into my head about when we stand in, in opposition to someone else and that we are often making assumptions about good and bad or evil and good um, by the behaviors or the choices that the other person makes. So um, I I, I consider this with the backdrop in this particular story that the farmer went to some effort to plant good seed, clean seed, if you will, into the field. And counter to that, someone else planted bad seed in his field. So it's not even a field that's in public use it's specifically to this particular sower of seed. This field is his. So I'm considering those moments where it feels like somebody's intentionally wrecking havoc in, into plans I'm working on or an activity I'm doing or a particular project I'm trying to accomplish. 
and and I'm trying to look at those things carefully and determine if a course of action should be taken or if I should hold my my decision making until I understand more. And so in this case, enemy for me um, is both a modern word and a word of history um, that sometimes who you think is your enemy is not, and sometimes the person you think is your friend is your enemy. So I'm kind of looking at both sides of that experience and wondering about the intentionality of the behavior. And what I'm, I guess I'm, I'm getting to is sometimes the behavior is what tells you whether or not a person is supportive or destructive to what you're trying to accomplish. Thank you. I, I raised it because it is a harsh word. It could be almost destructive in its own right, as in, you know, I'm in the business of finding my enemy, and it took me a while to work through that. Uh, and, and I, for, in my heart, learned that was, you know, in, in the world there are things that can be destructive, intrusive, wasteful, unseen. And then we hear the word of the, of the owner, ask me. I can help. You can. You can see. It's less divisive than just seeing, because I know that the, the slaves, the farmhands, had pretty good answers. I think, I think to go into this, to see their answer in terms of pulling up the weeds immediately is probably a very practical thing to do. But even the practical practice is not the right answer. But there's someone saying, look, I can help. I have, there's a better way. There's a perfect way in this case because I think it's a perfect crop. So what is the character of the enemy? Why use that word? I think the first is that the intent is to sow confusion. Hmm. Not, not, it's just confusion. And it varied solutions, distress, frustrations, concerned about who did this. That's exhausting in its own right. That is work and calories. I don't think we'd rather, we don't want to burn. But there it is. Just that alone is distressing. Mark Davis writes about it this week in his blog, and he says, you got to remember that what's in the field resembles wheat. The root systems are intertwined. It looks the same. If you look out, to a layperson, if I look out what's growing up, I go, that is a field of wheat, period. What do you see? I see wheat. That's it. But it's intertwined. He, Mike Davis called it a systemic imitation of a crop. Hmm. That was especially powerful way to look at it. And he repeats it through his blog. The intent and the knowledge of harm and confusion, very crafty, and not even seen for time. Time passage. Not until later does that happen. Matter of fact, it's so so crafty. It's like the servants are asleep when it's done. No one even knows it's happening for a while. Mark Davis also says the enemy in his translation is a hated one. Uh, and and it's just the enemy is not just mischievous or confrontational in a, per, a personal way or hidden, or it's not even quick. It's not aha, right? Time passes winds out. There's so much damage and so much confusion. It suggests a deeper intended harm. And I go back to that systemic imitation. Uh, It's so systemic. If if the enemy was on a degree of 1 to 10, this one gets a 10, (laughs) 
well done in every way, so intrusive, so exhausting. So I would say here's an enterprise made up of competent people. I choose to believe that we talk about the people working the field and everybody has a role to play. They're really good at it. You're a field hand. You know what's going on. When you have a solution, as in pull it up, that's the right answer. You have competent people who who think and and have an experience, and it's still not good enough. The enemy actually messes up your basic assumptions about how the earth is working. And it even implies it's so distressing early on when they go, what did you intend to do? Who put the seeds there? And I think behind the scenes, it's like, because this is so destructive, I just want you to know I didn't do it. Mm. So now it's potential infighting here. This is so destructive to this enterprise. And so it's at the end, a valuable crop is intended to be lost and should be. Because the servants knew what to do. The hands knew what to do. The, the slaves knew what to do. And if they'd done it, they would have actually implemented the end of the plan itself. So I just wanted to lay out to what the word enemy has wrapped around it. Well, let's go to the next uh, question. And, Sarah, this one's, this one's for you. And what is the impact of letting both of them grow up together on the power of the parable or on our access to meaning? meaning? Sarah? Well, it's hard for me. Thank you for making my head work. Um, the instruction seems to be take no action, do not judge, God has this well in hand. So here's my concern. The true nature of wheat and the true nature of weeds seems to stay constant and apparent in this particular parable, and they don't impact each other. So the fake wheat and the real wheat grow up together, but they don't change each other. They don't influence or or somehow uh, cross-pollinate. So much so that at the harvest, the reapers can tell one from the other with clarity. Am I wheat or am I weed? That's my concern. And I think this is is a, a hard passage to read because we aren't confident in our weediness or our weediness. I use those words carefully. Um, and I don't know how I feel about this aspect. Um, I'm of two minds about this. First, I'm grateful for the distinction because of my inability to perceive good from bad. And in contrast to that, I'm confident that nothing is impossible for God. So I'm concerned for the weeds. <laughs> Can they not be saved? Where's the grace? Who is good? Who is evil? Which of us is welcome into the harvest and which of us is left out? Thank goodness the adjudication is not up to me. So regardless of the insidiousness of the weeds who were not sown by the hand of the person who owns the field, it's not their fault they're weeds, is it? Not that fault is really a, a player here, but they, they seem innocent to me, these weedy seeds. And I'm concerned for their their long-term care and love and 
the the process through which they're going to travel. So I'm 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 wondering about that. I'm wondering how how does the wheat feel about the weed growing up next to them like a neighbor? And how do we care for each other without calling each other wheat or weeds? And and in doing that, I'm I'm I'm, I'm like my loving kindness is the instructions I've been given haven't been to, oh, no, you don't give it to them. You only give it to people who look like you. And I don't even know what that means. So I'm I'm worried for the weeds. Hmm. You, uh, if I had a theme for my reading this week, and I, I, I dove into the scripture with fear and worry and, you know, because this is so complicated, but I ended up, at peace this morning as we began because now I, instead of just standing back and trying to do what the disciples asked Jesus, which is this is this role and this is this role, it became just an affair of the heart for me, a challenge of, you know, where's my heart and how do you see? What do you see? Uh, and some of us grew up with a song that says in, you know, in times of trouble and in darkness, I would say I'm, in, I'm translating a song or a disruption when you can't think clearly and you want to weed things out or you want you think you have the answer but, but you're you're stressed someone someone said let it be <laughs> let it be let it be let it be whisper words of wisdom let it be you're sorting through things in a way and you know, maybe even with a confidence or with a great fear let it be so I'm paraphrasing Lennon and McCartney on that one. Uh, but that song came into my head. Like, you know, but the first is times of trouble and darkness and the disruption that the enemy intended. You know, just, oh, you know, who did it? Whose fault? Oh, no, I have the answer. Who has the answer? And the, and the, the, the hands here, the, the slaves, the servants, why didn't they do what was right to do? I mean, I think I think any reasonable farmhand would go and pull this up. That would be the right answer. Why did they pause? There's a relationship here. There's something already established. Discernment is taking place, I think, already. So the intended harvest, I think, is meant to be a perfect harvest. And this and so who knows I mean, there's no such thing, but I think there is in this case. The servants are by implica- implication experienced and competent in their situation and their competency is bad. And I think we're asked to assume a reasonable farm worker would try to eliminate the weeds. And if I connect this with any in any way, and I'm trying to kind of bounce off what you said, Sarah, the character I would resonate with are the are the workers, the competent called slave servants workers. The point is they do this and I think they're good at it. I would resonate with them and they are correct in their solution. Let's pull them up and and wrong at the very same time because this is about a perfect harvest. And so they turn to the person that puts a hand on their shoulders and let it let it be. So I resonate with that cohort in this case because the affair of the heart is I will engage in a weeding out. Think of the ideas. It's not just about this is about people. This is about distress and you know anything that takes my off eye off the discernment 
and not relying on spirit to help me, help me, guide me through those things. So that I resonate with that. Uh, the 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 enemy intended a new limited harvest, and all those things take place. And the owner intended and got a perfect harvest, despite the what human beings would say obvious solutions, obvious enemies, obvious problems. But I, I, I'm excited to say, I think the harvest is absolutely perfect. Not one piece of wheat got uprooted, and every piece of fruit was harvested. How about you, Bill? What do you think about this? Um, like you, Don, I found it very helpful to reread and reflect on Mark Davis's uh, treatment of this. In the portion you quoted a part of, he goes on to say that this insight of the um, mixing of wheat and the uh, weeds is a, he says, an incredibly insightful description of how evil and good often interact and even at times are fed and fueled by the same soil. We we celebrate in the parable of the sowers God's indiscriminate casting of the word. He 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 doesn't reserve it just for the good soil. The flip side of that is that even evil can grow in that good soil. Um, I, I I found that helpful, and you know the parable says the field is the world John 3:16 God so loved the world not just the good people <laughs> not just the good stuff the field is the world now Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary volume 2 on Matthew uh, quotes a source that says in Galilee the roots of this wheat were weaker than the roots of weeds, so that pulling up weeds often meant pulling up both, and the the parable uh, makes that that clear. So that is another interesting thought that evil has stronger roots than good. And Bruner also quotes. Martin Luther, I had not encountered this quote before on the subject of this parable. He says, Luther said, those fanatics who do not want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. Powerful metaphor. And thank you for that reminder of let it be, let it be. Now, another detail from the Connections commentary is that this weed was not only harmful to the wheat, it was very harmful and potentially deadly to human beings. That's why at the harvest time it was important to separate the two. Now, a different example of that that my wife and I experienced years ago. My first pastorate was in Lumberton, North Carolina. We lived in and ministered in a low-income community. I was also on the staff of a nearby large 
downtown Presbyterian Church. This particular Sunday, a couple from the larger church, the main church, attended chapel worship. And afterwards, um, he came over to the house, which was next door, and offered me mushrooms that he had harvested off the chapel lawn and said, these are safe to eat. (laughs) I invited him in, and I was honest to say, before I put that in my body, you got to tell me more. It turns out he was officially certified, whatever you call that. (laughs) And he was pointing out to me that there are mushrooms that look very much alike. One is deadly. The other is savory and safe. And his were safe. So that's another example that maybe others can identify with. Um, Now, I think I tend to say this a lot. We are all for soils. We are both wheat and weeds. Don, that's the most troubling thought to me. How am I a weed? I really believe I am. Um, But I'm also just as certain that I don't see that clearly. Um, What I do take away is I'm not to play God and give myself permission to announce who is a child of the kingdom to anticipate the next question and who is a child of the evil one. Rather, we are to engage in lives to the best of our ability of faithful discipleship waiting with hope for the full completion of God's kingdom on earth and leaving final judgments to, to God. Um, sadly, the history of the church does not reflect a consistent understanding and practice of leaving to God the judgment of who is in and who is out, who has the full truth and who does not. As Luther said, we end up with no wheat when we appoint ourselves to rush out and pull up the weeds. Rather, the pages of church history are replete with accounts of our splitting and dividing ourselves into innumerable denominations and factions. Often the followers of Jesus Christ have been more eager to be weeding rather than waiting. We'd rather weed than wait. Differences in perception and understanding are feared as threats rather than embraced as opportunities. Thank you. And, uh, Bill, I'm going to come right back to you with this final. And, folks, we have about 10 minutes to, to bite this one off. Uh, is uh, if, you, if you issue the challenge of we, we can be weed, we can be weed, uh, I, I think it's interesting if, I'm, if, you're, if you challenge me to imagine myself as weed. These weeds have, are actually of no consequence. And if you if, if you follow the guidance of the owner, uh, they're just worthless. They don't, actually don't do any damage. They the enemy created disruption and confusion and anxiety, but. The perfect crop is the per- I mean, it was just the perfect crop, and it reminded me of Bill Wallace, who 
uh, led our lectionary class at Palmasia Presbyterian Church for generations, and we honor him with that. And he, he said, we're not capable, capable of what God will do at the end of time. Uh, and he, he always used that as a, as a theme of this. But, uh, Bill, let's go back to you with this final question. Uh, the good seed of the children of the kingdom and the weeds of the children of the evil one, how do you explain the difficult, fearful statement or a definition to a newcomer of the gospel of Matthew. And I think this resonates with the harm that has been done in the past as well. Mm. Bill, you please. Thank you. Um, I, you up the ante by focusing on a new uh, believer. First, obviously, I would acknowledge that this is very powerful language and it's binary. It's either or categorizing. We have to acknowledge that. Um, our friend, Father Richard Rohr, is opposed to binary, but this there's no way around it. This is either or rather than both and thinking. And But I would go on, Don, to say that life and ministry are messy, and there are weeds, and sometimes I'm the weed. That it now among Jesus' own disciples, there was resistance, denial, and even betrayal. You talk about strong language. What did Jesus say to Simon Peter when Peter was opposed to Jesus predicting Jesus' suffering and death? Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter was being a weed at that point. Now, while we are not the ultimate judge of other people, we are called to be discerning, to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And Sarah, you powerfully referred to that in our pre-recording. And um, two quick comments. When I was a student in seminary, Dr. James McDowell Richards, a very dignified Rhodes Scholar, Presbyterian minister, a great leader, was president of the seminary, and more than one occasion in my three years there, when he was speaking in chapel worship, he would forcefully say to us seminary students, remember, Satan walks the halls of Columbia Theological Seminary. <laughs> we would sometimes over coffee chuckle and even make a little fun of it, but Dr. Richards was right. Satan walked the halls of Columbia Seminary in the world. And I'll, I'll finish where the passage finishes, Don. And it repeats from Matthew 13, 9, last week, 9, verse 33. Let anyone with ears listen. Listen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't know about you. I live in a world of weeding out, constant weeding out. I mean, that seems to be the crisis of the age we live in, but it maybe it's always been present, and maybe Jesus is talking about that. To what end? Uh, you know, I can wake up in the morning and think I'm weeding out, or I've certainly felt like I've been weeded out, uh, even by fellow fellow followers of the way, because I didn't line up with doctrine or politics. And, you know, they, they shall not dine with me again. I mean, it's just a difficult. See, there's that disruptive world. It goes into this in a time of trial and crisis. You know, instead of let it be, it's like, oh, it's tough. But to what end? 
and uh, and so when I get comfortable with, uh, you know, what Bill Wallace said, which is what God will do at the end, that's the confidence of the owner. That's the confidence of the, the, that there is promise. Uh, but there's a lot of living to do. Uh, and in Matthew, boy, there's a lot of living going on. And that is not being weeded out. And it's not being discarded. So here's another situation. If we cut this out with scissors, it could be dangerous and harmful. And, you know, I could do the harm or I could be harmed. But I see no doctrine, name, politics, village of origin, race, ethnicity, sexuality, or health in this. No, no one's pointing at that for weeding out. There's just living to do, care, service. Uh, so we ha- I think we have to knit, you know, the entire book of Matthew and the whole gospel back into this for context, you know. At the end is perfect. What is it perfect? I don't know. <laughs> but I have confidence in that, and it's someone at my side that can go, wait, before you choose to do harm, think, meditate upon the gospel, or see gospel. Sarah, you get the last word on this. What are your thoughts about this binary challenge? I think that... Uh... The, the, the world in which Matthew lived, people would have looked at him and said he was a weed. So there's a tender heart to this story on the part of the author. Um, I like the idea of letting it be, that, it's, that, that, that my hands are not the hands that God is calling to pull up and destroy. My situation is different. So... Um, in reading this week, David Lose's um, blog from 2014, um, that blog is entitled, um, oh, where is it? On Wheat, Weeds, and Ambu- Ambiguity. Um, he's, his, the quote I liked or that, that touched me was, our lives are littered with situations where there is no clear and easy answer. And yet we rarely talk about these things in church. Maybe we don't know what to say, or maybe we don't. Maybe our um, we ourselves aren't quite sure of how the faith relates to the situation. Um, but I hear this parable. I hear in this parable Jesus's promise that in ambiguous, 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 blah, in ambiguous and challenging situations, we have the promise that in the end God will sort things out. So that's the promise to which we cling. As Christ followers, and the, the quote, that was the end of the quote, um, as Christ followers, we, um, we live while moving between hard choices and decisions, and it seems to present us with a regular <laughs> occurrence of finding ourselves between a rock and a hard place. And I'm wondering, how can we separate a good choice from a bad one? I'm grateful for course corrections, which allow me to, to, to change my mind or to change my behavior or to change what I've chosen. I think these are a necessity, and I, am, I'm, I, I love the gospel of the do-over. I'm a fan of that. And as Christ followers, we're called to walk with each other who are making equally challenging choices and decisions. Um, we are not, I said, we are not called 
to be necessarily the hands that pull up the weeds, but we are called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to be present. We're called to be um, people who attend the sick, the imprisoned, and the poor. So we're called to be. So if today's conversation is about letting it be, we're called to that work of being next to each other. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. And for those listening in, we're going to wrap it up. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. They make this podcast possible. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that to you for great sermons, discussions of lectionary, disagreements about lectionary, helpfulness, meditations, prayers, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out. And you're always welcome. We'll see you next time.